so I guess you know some days did get did get a bit bit down um surgery was a was a pretty big day for me like having to sit back and wait especially when you come so far in your journey and you knew you could go completely backwards so but it was I guess it was day in the life of being a Niku dad really when you think about it like you know they told you from the start you'll go you'll go 10 steps forward but then you'll go 20 steps back and then that'll that'll just that roller coaster will build the whole time so I guess it's a yeah it's a bit of a hard one to pinpoint your low days it was you just kind of had to stay positive because you know positivity was the best thing for that that ward really G'day and welcome to the Dads of the NICU podcast. My name is Matt Bilkowski and I'm a proud father of a premature baby born at 25 weeks at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Our daughter was 766 grams or one pound 11 ounces at birth. Our superstar girl spent 84 days in the NICU and 14 days in special care before being discharged home on oxygen. I started this podcast as I wanted to share my experiences with other dads, the aim of which is to allow them to hear what other dads went through and to find a connection to our stories so that they know that they're not alone and what they're feeling and going through is normal. I hope it helps you on your journey. G'day dads and welcome to this week's episode. Today I chat with Brody James via video link. Brody shares with me some stories about the highs and lows of his NICU journey and what he did to keep a clear and healthy mindset along the way. Well, g'day, Brody. Thank you so much for joining me to chat today. Mate, firstly, how are you? How's everything going? Yeah, good, mate. It's going really well. We're settling into life at home, which is a, a big step. Big, uh, took a bit to get over. It was definitely a, a different change from going to the, the RBH every day and and then going home without Easton. But yeah, now it's, it's good. It's a good change. So how long have you been home now for since discharge? Uh, we've been home probably just a little over a month now. So, And how's, how's the adjustment coming back into getting yourself at home and adjusting uh, with your wife and, and newborn? To be honest, it probably took, it would have, uh, I reckon it probably took a couple of weeks to, we've only probably just starting to smooth over now. Um, just to, I guess, get back into the rhythm of having a normal life with a, an added extra. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good. It'd be good, uh, be good when we get a bit more freedom again with, uh, isolation and we can enjoy the start like we should have. But so yeah, is having, it's good. is having a little Eastern at home, everything you thought it would be, or is it a little bit different or, uh, are circumstances not quite what you thought they were considering everything that's happened in the last couple of months for your family? No, I would, I would say they've probably exceeded what I thought. Um, obviously, fatherhood was a bit of a surprise to me when I, when I got the phone call at work. So, um, yeah, definitely, you know, a bit of a nerve-wracking time through the pregnancy. And then, you know, as you know as well, like it, you get the, the sudden call to say, you know, tonight's the night. So, yeah, I think coming, you know, we could only build up from there. So, so now it's, yeah, no, I think it's exceeding expectations is, you couldn't imagine with not having him now. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's good. So let's look back at those, those NICU days. How long was your journey in total from first day in hospital to uh, walking out of those doors for the last time? So we spent 115 days in, uh, in the hospital. Um, we spent about 70, I think it was 76 days 
in ICU and then we progressed to special care and then went back to ICU and then back to special care. So, so it seems like it wasn't always smooth sailing. Was there a couple of um, little setbacks along the way or just need a little bit more attention at certain times? Um, yeah, well, Easton was born with, um, he, they called them bilateral hernias. So he had two hernias, which we knew had to be treated. Most prem boys have got it. Um, so that was always on the cards, um, but couldn't be treated until he was, you know, at a stable point closer to going home. So I guess the whole journey was getting him, getting him prepared for that, getting his oxygen requirements down, getting him as stable as possible. So we knew that day was going to come. And when that day come, meant we had to go back to, uh, come out of special care, go back to ICU. Um, and then just fingers crossed that all went well so which it did so was your wife admitted uh into the maternity ward prior to Eason being born or did um you sort of go in and and have Eason on the day so Maddie actually she called me at uh it was about 12 o'clock I was actually working on our caravan like a normal day because I was a FIFO worker doing my off shift and um she called me and said uh I've got some really bad back pain I need to get I need to see someone I said okay and then she called me and said, oh, well, actually this back pain is really bad and I've also got a little bit of leakage. And I went, ooh, all right, well, this is a bit alarming. So luckily um, one of our good friends is actually a stenographer and she owns her own clinic. So she actually fit Maddie in that afternoon. We went in and Sammy said, you need to get to the hospital ASAP, you're dilating. So we pretty much went from nothing to I think it was about seven hours later. Easton was was here. Wow. And what gestation was he born at? Uh, he was born at 24 weeks and four days. Okay. And what, so, was his, yeah. what was his birth weight? He weighed 752 grams. That's a fair weight for a, for that early. It was. We were pretty fortunate. Maddie's actually a type 1 diabetic, not from gestational, but actually normally. That kind of gives a bit of a buffer for them as well. They normally tend to grow a bit bigger. So. You said you were sort of just carrying on with a normal day, had a phone call that you just didn't expect the news to come through. How did that hit you immediately? And and what was the first 24 hours like for you? It was, yeah, I don't, it's probably hard to put words to it. It's probably the biggest shock of my life, I think, to be honest. Um, You know, you expect, you expect a smooth pregnancy like you see, you know, on the rest of the world. So to get that call to say, you know, it's coming. And then, you know, in your head, you're like, you already start, your cogs are already spinning. You're going, what's going on? What are we going to be doing? And then you're like, and at the time we actually had um, Maddie's parents were in America. Um, my mum was living in Gladstone. My dad was on a flight back to Gladstone. So, you know, you're kind of sitting in a in limbo with, you know, who do you talk to? You know, Maddie's spinning out, you don't want to spin her out. So yeah, it was a, it was a pretty emotional point, um, especially, you know, at that, you, you have some pretty, uh, pretty confronting conversations with the doctors and nurses. Um, they have to give you the odds. You have to, you have to make your decisions there. It's not something you want to hear, especially with your first child. It's very confronting. So and I guess a lot of emotion and yeah, it was a, it was a full on 24 hours. That's for sure. Especially going from a, a normal day to a, you know, within seven hours turned around to a, you're in hospital. You're going to have your baby. There's nothing we can do about it. We can only go up from here. So 
And I think that's a, that's the difference with my experience and some of the other dads that I've um, had a chat to so far is we were all admitted to hospital for a couple of days or a couple of weeks leading into our delivery. But yours was, was so different that it just happened completely out of the blue and you just didn't get much time to, to get your head around what was going on. And considering the length of time that your family spent in the NICU and special care, how, how did it play on your mental health, that initial shock and then trying to process that and then just continuing on for such a long duration of time? It was, it was definitely tough. Um, you know, there's, you know, people deal with things different ways. Um, for me, I have to be occupied. So, you know, I had to get back to work as soon as possible um, to kind of keep my brain ticking to kind of smooth the days over. Exercise is big for me. So to get back on the bike, put K's on the bike, put K's on my legs running, like that kind of, I don't know, I kind of had to bring some normality back into my life. And the only way I could do that, that I knew was to do what I love doing. And that's, you know, exercise. So yeah, it, it was tough. We, we definitely leaned a lot on our parents, you know, to have Maddie's parents. Then my parents moved back from Gladstone pretty well within a week of Easton being born. So it took a, yeah, it was, it was tough. Yeah. So you talk about um, the physical exercise side of trying to keep your mind uh, occupied. I kept hearing your story along the, along my journey and hearing that you were still training for your Ironman. I just, I couldn't believe that you still had the motivation and the personal drive to, you know, get up in those early hours in the morning and do, you know, 50, hundred Ks on the bike, get the, get the Ks in the legs, get in the pool. How, did you have to work a lot harder mentally to keep that motivation going? And I guess from, if you had to give some advice to dads around that physical side of it, what helped you stay physical and keep your mental health as positive as possible through this journey? I guess it's a hard one. I guess everyone's different when it comes to, to exercise and I guess how crazy you are with what you want to do. But for me, it was, you know, it was almost like you weren't stepping away from what was happening, but it was kind of putting a, it was shading it a little bit. So, you, you know, you get back out with your mates on your bikes and it kind of, they kind of step you back to, you know, you're back to the norm and then you would do your ride, do your session, then you'd come out of it and then you'd go, right, we're going back. This is, this is how we got to, you know, what's today going to bring. So yeah, it was more of a, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm a pretty driven person with my training anyway. You know, it's what I love doing. It's one of passion. So, you know, it was pretty easy for me to stay motivated in that way. And it was just important that, you know, I wasn't going to drop the ball because I knew if I dropped the ball, then it, you know, you could fall into a bit of a mess, which is what I really wanted to avoid. So, and I know a lot of people go a lot of other different ways, you know, they find other avenues of things to do, but this was my, you should call it your Zen. It's what made me feel good. And then, you know, it was important, as you know, like you've got to feel good because, you know, you become the rock for, you know, you become the rock for the mum, which is sometimes sitting there going, what's, what's going on, you know. So were there any times where something happened that you weren't able to escape from, you weren't able to find your zen, you weren't able to be that rock? Um, did you let your guard down at any time? Um, did you have to open up to sort of express what was going on to get something off your chest or out of your head? It was like, I guess there's, there's always going to be low days when you're in that, in the hospital. Um, there's a lot going on. You see a lot of people, you know, you see different people progressing, different people coming backwards. And then, you know, you have hopes of, Oh, maybe my baby's going to be like that baby, like I really hope. And then you, 
you know, you get to that point, you know, especially the big steps when they go from, you know, they, they come off the, um, the ventilator and they go into like a high flow or low flow. Like that's the big steps. And you're like, oh, I really want to want to hit this hurdle. And then you hit, then the nurse goes, they didn't make it that night. And then you're like, all right, we're going back. You know, how do we, how do we move from this? Like, you know, Oh, it's all good. Like, you know, a couple more weeks, we'll go again. Like, so I guess, you know, some days did get, did get a bit, bit down. Um, surgery was a, was a pretty big day for me. Like having to sit back and wait, especially when you come so far on your journey and you knew you could go completely backwards. So, but it was, <clears throat> I guess it was day in the life of being a Niku dad, really, when you think about it, like, you know, they told you from the start, you'll go, you'll go 10 steps forward, but then you'll go 20 steps back. And then that'll, that'll just, that roller coaster will build the whole time. So I guess it's a, yeah, it's a bit of a hard one to pinpoint your low days. It was, you just kind of had to stay positive because, you know, positivity was the best thing for that, that ward really. And on the flip side of that, what were the, what were the high days? What was some magical moments for you personally or, or for your family that really spurred you on and kicked you into that next gear? I think the, um, the big thing for me would have been probably first cuddle. That was a big, that was a big thing. So, cause you feel very distant at the start living in a, you know, your baby's growing essentially in an artificial womb and you can, you can hand touch, you can do the kangaroo hands and stuff like that. You can read books, but you know, they feel light years away. So I guess when they finally come out and you can finally go skin to skin, you go, actually, this is, this is a product of something that, you know, we've created. So, um, for me, that was a really big one. And the second big one would have been, um, well, it was both me and Maddie seeing that, but you know, it was also when we got to special care and it became more of a norm, you could go and you could pull your baby out. You could, you know, you could cuddle when you wanted, you could, your parents could come in and grab your baby. Like it was, it was good. Yeah. There was a lot of highs, but yeah. How would you describe the NICU atmosphere? Walking through that threshold every day, going through those doors, the smells, the sounds, seeing the same people or the revolving door of, of NICU parents and babies. How, how would you describe in your own words what NICU life is like? It's, it's very confronting. It was, <clears throat> yeah, I guess, I don't think you got any easier walking through that door every day to NICU. Um, it was still the same. Um, you become very alert, you know, you're listening around, you, you're always listening to nurses, you know, machines, you become <clears throat> a buzzer goes off and you're on edge. You're like, what's going on? Is that my baby? Is that another baby? Like it becomes very, I feel you become very high strung like you. And that's not normally me. I'm normally pretty, pretty chilled back, but it definitely, it definitely put me at a, you know, pretty well point in my life that was, you know, very stressful. What so. did you have to keep doing for yourself to try and keep your head in the game and try and minimize that stress? You, you say you're very focused on um, information and, and being in control when there are times where you physically couldn't do anything to help the situation. How, how did you try and process those times? So I guess the, the things for me is cause obviously sometimes you can't get the information you want to hear. Um, so, you know, in that ward, you, you spend a lot of time. I don't know how many kilometres I've spent walking around that ward now. There was a particular wall outside of room three um, as you walk out, turn right, <clears throat> and it was photos. 
and for me it was you know looking at that wall it had um some of them were when they were born others were two years on they've come back for the dap program and to see that wall and go all these kids have come through here and they're now you know they're fine you know it takes time so it was things like that that wall going to the parents lounge i think i've read every one of them pictures on that wall probably 10 times over now all their stories um you know and then you you know you kind of there isn't much um there isn't much for the dads to hear so this is why this is so good this program now so but you know you would get the the girls would go to the breastfeeding lounge and you would hear all the gossip from the breastfeeding lounge. So I'd be hanging at home waiting to hear what has Marty heard today from the breastfeeding lounge. <laughs> Cause then you would hear, you know, you'd hear the good stories of how other babies are going, you know, it'll put some hope. Like you would hear, you know, other babies that have had hernias, other babies that have had eye injections, like all this stuff, you would hear it throughout the day. And that's, you know, that stuff you would go, all right, so they have got over that hurdle. It is possible. They are little, but they're pretty resilient. So, you know, it was a, yeah, it was just, I guess you would, the photos were a big thing for me and what you would hear from other mums from the breastfeeding lounge was a, was a good, was a good kick. Yeah. So you, you touched on it a little bit earlier and, and almost just then as well, comparing babies and comparing stories. Did you find yourself doing that a fair bit and you say when another alarm goes off or a baby progresses or regresses? did you get caught up in trying to compare and say, well, you know, Eason was born at this gestation at this way. He should be on this trajectory in this path. Why aren't we there or great? We're, we're further exceeding that. Did that, did that become an issue for you at all? Yeah. You, yeah, it did really, to be honest, like you would, it was hope. Like you would see progression and you would go, you know, that's our next step. You know, we're going to go from, we're going to go down and CPAP. We're going to go to high flow and low flow. And then, see where we go from there or you know the baby's come back from surgery three days later they're back on high flow and you know they're starting to wean their way down so for me it was a it wasn't a competition it was more of a it put me at rest to know that you know there is a forward because some days you feel like you're just coming in it's groundhog day you're just looking at the same thing same screen the nurse is telling you the same thing they've had a bad night we've had DSAT after DSAT we've had Braddies and you know, that word, I hope I never have to hear that word again. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was, it was hope and it was good because, you know, you would constantly, it was revolving. Um, there was obviously a core group of parents that would, were long-termers. Um, but, you know, it was always revolving. There was new people coming through. There were fresh faces. They were always asking questions. So, yeah, it was, it was good. And then, you know, there were dads at the start when we first got in there that left, you know, halfway through our time and you could hear, how they went through and it, it was a yeah you did you did get caught up in I guess what like your question was with how other babies were tracking but it was a it was more of a yeah a peace of mind to know that there is a Ford and you will get there it's just time no it's perfect so. I think that that's that's awesome advice for dads that are starting out their journey or are sort of along their way of knowing that sometimes it doesn't matter what the stats are saying and what's happening. It's all about your individual baby, your individual circumstances. Every, every journey is, is so different. You touched on earlier the being told about the numbers and the, the data and the, I guess the, the prevalence of survival and different projections throughout the journey and how that helped you sort of process it. 
is there anything at the back end of your journey that happened or you realized that you wish you knew at the start or you wish someone told you that on day one or week one? Is there any major thing that you could sort of, the big bit of advice you could give to another dad now? I guess the big thing is, is, you know, you will get there in the end. Like it's, you know, it's, it's not a, it's very, you know, it's, it is a little bit sad at the start and a long way through your journey. You're going to have a lot of the ups and you're going to have a lot of downs, but at the end of the day, whether it's 20 days or 200 days, you're going to get there in the end. Um, the people that are there, they do it for a reason. Uh, and you just have to trust what they say. So and I think the big thing for me at the start, you try and control what's going on. Like, you know, you want to be, <clears throat> you want to make the shots on what's happening to your baby. At the end of the day, you don't have the degree. They've got the degree and they've done it to thousands of other babies. And once you step back and realize, you know, these people are actually miracle workers, they know what they're doing. It definitely gets a lot easier as a dad to be, you know, once you put faith in what they can do and go, all right, I've got full trust in you. Whatever you say goes you know, let's get to the end and you'll get there. So, and it is, oh, the day that you leave is, oh, the best day. Walking out of that door for last time, not going, I'm here to check into room three or I'm here to check into room 11. You just walk out with that pram, as you know, and you stand out the front and you look back at the hospital and go, wow, look where we've come. You know, we came in here without a baby, we're now leaving with the baby. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty magical moment. Oh, it's, that's really well said, mate. And I think the the emotions that that parents will have just come flooding in when they they finally get to walk out for that very last time, pushing that pram with their baby and trying to fumble with them to put him into the car seat. It's and it was such an amazing experience for us. And you were just touching on it there. How how powerful was that moment for you to know that you've hit the finish line and now you've got the you're looking forward the next chapter in your life is is almost starting again you now have your baby at home you're now a full-time father what was that moment that realization for you like yeah it was pretty it was probably actually two days probably just before we went into parent craft I had a bit of a I didn't have a meltdown but you know <laughs> I had a I guess it all comes flooding in. You're like, all right, it's finally time. You know, had a bit of panic. We went and got the car detailed, um, got the car seat put in, like, you know, to get all that stuff done. And then, cause you know, I didn't want Maddie to have to worry about it. And then, you know, the day that they go, you're going home and to walk out to the car to get the pram and walk back into the hospital with an empty pram going, this is it. Like this is, it was the best, you know, you, it was like winning the, you know, the mega ball or jackpot, like it was, you know, we're done. We've finally, you know, we've got on top of this anthill and now we're going down the smooth side. Like it was, it was good. Yeah. Words can't, well, I can't really describe it. It was, it was very emotional, but it was, yeah, it was a great day. Oh, I think you've summed that up perfectly, mate. Considering that, have you thought about next time? Would it, has it deterred you at all? Has, have you had that conversation yet at home? What's, what would go through your head if you, if you thought or you found out you, you're pregnant again? I guess, um, yeah, Maddie has mentioned it. You know, we've always said from the start um, that we always wanted to have two kids eventually. So I guess it'd, it'd definitely play a toll, but, um, you know, after everything we've been through, I don't, I don't think it would defer us because we kind of, you know, the reason Maddie went into early labour was because of a short cervix. So, you know, there's a prevention for it now. Um, so we would know now that, you know, as soon as she fell pregnant, you would get that stitched. 
you wouldn't you wouldn't try and write it out. So <clears throat> you don't know the full reason to why he came early, but that's what they've kind of pinned it to. So gives me a bit of peace of mind. But in saying that, I kind of want to enjoy him at the moment. And you know, I'm only 26, so we'll come back to it maybe when I'm 30. <laughs> Give me time to you know get him in his shoes and walking around and possibly on a bike without pedals. Like, yep. you know, then we'll think about it. So, yeah, perfect. but it's definitely not off. It's not off the cards. It hasn't deterred me. It's just more of a, I guess now it's more of a, it plays in the back of your mind to go, you know, there's, there is complications that you, you don't hear about when you're at the, the clinic at the start, you know? So now we know all our friends are aware now. So it's like a, yeah, it's, it's more of an awareness now than a, than a fear. And finally, mate, what's, what's the next thing that you're looking forward to most out of having Easton at home? What's, what's been something you've had on your, the top of your to-do list to do with him or to do as a family since he's been brought home? And hopefully once all the COVID-19 calms down yeah. a little bit, where, where are you going to go first? What are you going to do as a family first time out? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one. There's a lot of things I want to do, but you know, for me, it's, you know, I want to go back over to New Zealand. I want to, you know, we want to start showing him around the world, you know, there's places we want to go. Um, I really want to take him to, you know, my Ironman next year, have him there. So there's, yeah, I don't, I guess it's, it's more just enjoying him around, taking him into everywhere we go, which we kind of can't do at the moment. This isolation is obviously restricting what you want to do, but yeah, for me, it, probably the big thing that I'm really looking forward to is having him there at the finish line next year for the for the Ironman. That's probably the that's that's a big one. Yeah, it's an emotional day, let alone let alone having a baby there as well. I think knowing that he'd be at the finish line will definitely get you through that 180k on the bike and then the bloody marathon after that. So, mate, I wish you all the best yeah. of luck with your with your training and hopefully you get there and he's, he's standing there at the end cheering you on. So, mate, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your insights and being so open and authentic with us today. No worries. Thanks, mate. It's awesome what you're doing. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Well, that's it for today, guys, and I hope you got something out of that episode. As always, please seek professional advice and help if you feel that you need it. I'm certainly not the answer. I'm just a means of helping out a little bit on your journey. If you like these episodes, please subscribe to Dads of the NICU to get all of the new episodes as soon as they're launched. And if you're keen for more content or looking for more resources, please follow our Instagram and Facebook accounts, both called Dads of the NICU. And if you have any questions or you'd like to share your insights or stories, please feel free to contact us by email on dadsofthenicu at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and don't forget to wash your hands.